Thank you for listening to the Valley Point Church podcast. We are currently in the series, So Now What? We hope it's a blessing to you. Good morning. It's great to see you, and I want to personally thank you for coming out on this very special day, and I love watching that timeline. Isn't that great? It just paints a picture of how God has been with us. He's been with our church for close to 46 years now, and that's just incredible. So special day for us. We have a guest speaker, and I have the wonderful honor of introducing him to you. And so I'm just going to read through this. Approximately 12 years ago, while I was serving at my previous church in Illinois, I had the privilege of meeting Todd McMitchin, our guest speaker today. Our church at the time was walking through building a new home, very similar to what we're doing here at Valley Point. And Todd came to help us strategize on how we could take the church on a spiritual journey. So it was so much more than just a facility or a building or a piece of property. He really helped us think about this spiritual journey and how we could create a generous culture that would enable the church to accomplish its God-given purpose of sharing the gospel, the truth of Jesus, the good news of who he is and what he has done for us with as many people as possible. What I didn't know is that simple consultation would change who I was as a person and as a leader. Todd came, gave us a plan, left us with a ton of work and some goals that seemed unattainable. And I remember thinking at the time, this guy has a great job. He's got a great job because he gets to come in here, strongly suggest what we should be doing, and then he leaves us with a ton of work, which is what happened. But we did the work, and our church took a very memorable journey. And my own love for taking bold faith steps grew. And my love for generosity grew. God used that season, that time, and Todd's leadership to do something in me. Fast forward to 2010 when our family moved here to Valley Point as a new lead pastor. I felt very overwhelmed. And we walked through some challenges right away, and under my great leadership, our attendance dropped that first year. <laughs> I was devastated and, and very discouraged, so I called Todd. He gave me a list of 10 things to do and said, Good luck with all of that. <laughs> but here's what happened, though He helped me clarify the vision of what God was doing in me and what God wanted for our faith community. And so those things came together, and it was shortly after that when things began to change here at Valley Point. God worked here, and we came to a place where we began to wrestle with, does God want us to pursue a permanent home on our property? Is that what God wants for us? So as we were wrestling with all of this again, I I called Todd, and he began to meet with us so that we could take That step, we sensed that's what God wanted for us, and this was the right time, and Bethel Road was the right place, and it's a step we took in 2014, and here we are three years later under construction. Most of you have never met Todd. 
You've never met him before. You need to know this. He has had profound impact on our church. He has been an instrumental part of our journey. He has coached us through faith steps, big goals, and vision clarity. Todd has actually impacted hundreds of churches across America in his role as a generosity campaign coach. Todd is also the author of a book called Leading a Generous Church. He lives in Birmingham, Alabama with his wife, Teresa, and their two children, Riley and Brianna. While he loves his Alabama football, there you go. <laughs> While he loves his, uh, his Tide team there, he did tell me his favorite pro team is the Eagles. I, I believe he told me that at some point, I think. I heard that somewhere. He's been a personal friend and mentor to me. I can't say enough about Todd. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm excited that he gets to meet, for the very first time, after being on this journey with us, the great, great people called Valley Point Church. I'm thankful he gets to meet you today. So will you help me welcome Todd McMitchin? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, <clears throat> in Alabama, we don't, we don't root for pro teams. We, we, we do root for every Alabama player on a pro team, though. So that's how it works. So we followed D'Amico Ryans, which was your middle linebacker uh, for a little bit there. So I, I'm, I'm glad to be uh, with you today. Thank you for queuing up the nice warm weather for me. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I was looking through my phone at old photos when I, when I came here back in the day. I mean, I, I took some pictures cu coming down the road just covered and covered in snow and some beautiful, some beautiful scenes there. Eric first called me when he was pastoring some church called Fellowship. And he told me, he said, we happen to own a piece of property uh, that we can't meet on. We meet in a school. We have no resources and no real plan forward. But I, I do know that God's calling us to get back there. How many of you were part of that church? How many of you? Right. And, and so here we sit today, just months away from achieving something that only, only God could do, correct? Only God could do. And so I know you have a deep appreciation for your pastor, but, but I have a real deep appreciation for him because the, the weight and the volume of decisions that has been made over the years at, at the most strategic point before the way was actually available in great faith is it's pretty amazing pretty amazing. And so, uh, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, I want you to know that you're part of a group of people that have witnessed God do multiple things that only God could do. And we're all in a, in a moment in which we're not going to come back to again, in which we can watch God bring that building out of the ground. And the topic today is big enough God. Big enough God. And I, I want to stand on the shoulders of your experience for the next 20, 25 minutes or so. And I just want to help you kind of step back and celebrate what God has done. And that I want to help you kind of begin to see the future like your pastor has seen it for so many years. Like he saw this day before you even thought it was possible. And I want that to be your encouragement today. So are you ready to, to go on a brief journey on that this morning? So take your notes, if you have them there. Uh, take your hand out. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, I've lost my voice. So I don't know what that's, what that's about, but
But uh, so here, here's the first thing uh, that I want to unpack with you. Is God big enough to give you a life verse? Is he big enough to give you a life verse? Now, if you've been a part of Valley Point for the last four or five years or so in the month of January, you know you, you do a series called Life Verse. I actually have some pictures on my phone that hang in the church office of the very first time you did that series. Let me just confess that I'm in and out of hundreds and hundreds of churches over the, the course of my career. One of my most favorite sermon series ever is Life Verse. It's a great opportunity for you just to begin your year thinking about what God dreams for you and gives you a verse to pray all year long and focus upon and dream about. And so if you missed that series, maybe today God will give you a life verse for 2017. But there's a guy in the Bible that got a life verse. His name's Elijah. And I want to share that life verse with you. It's in uh, 1 Kings <clears throat> chapter 17, verse 1. And it's on the screen. And it says this, Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab. Now King Ahab is an evil king. Kills prophets, not a nice guy. Elijah the prophet has to have a conversation with this evil king. And he says, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there's going to be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Now I know what you're thinking. Elijah got gypped on his life verse, didn't he? Right? I mean, what a life verse. He's supposed to go to this evil, wicked king, and he's supposed to say, King I'm telling you, there's going to be no rain. There's going to be a severe drought. And it's not going to rain again until I say so. All right? Well, you know, God's in the habit of kind of giving some forewarning on things. And, and you might flash back to Noah, the story of Noah, right? Kind of a little bit the opposite, right? God says, Noah, look, there's going to be a lot of rain, a lot of rain. But here's the good news. You get to build the ark and your family's going to be in it. There's another day he went to Joseph and said, hey, Joseph, look, you're, you know, you're going to get thrown into jail here. Your brother's going to betray you. You're going to end up being a slave and a servant. But I want you to know there's going to be an amazing drought in the land, and I'm going to cause you to become second in power to the king, and you're going to own everything and be in charge of everything, right? So Elijah gets this, this bad life verse, let's say, about what God's going to do in the future. But look at what God tells him next. The, the life verse doesn't end there. It says this, go to the east and hide in the Kareth Brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah's part of the life verse. He gets to go to Spa Med, right? He's going to get to, he, Elijah, look, there's, you're not going to need to play the, 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 the Babbling Brook CD track. You're going to be there live and in person. Right by the brook, it's going to be this amazing sound for you. It's going to be nice and cool and breezy. You can drink from it. It's wonderful water during this whole drought. And I'm going to bring birds, and the birds are going to deliver food for you. That's your life during this season of drought. Well, uh, just a little bit of a disclosure for, for me. God gave me a life verse this year. My church, we, we, we do a similar series in January. We go on a, a 21 days of prayer and fasting in the month of January. And in, during, during that season, I had been praying uh, for two years. I've been praying, you know, because I'm on the road a lot. I'm on the road three to four days a week. I've been doing it for 15 years. And for two years, I've been praying. I said, God, I really want to be home. I love, I love to get to be home. And I was thinking that I'd be in a career transition that would last all of 2017. 
And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I was doing my men's Bible study, started a, a men's study at the beginning of January. And it was one of those Bible studies where you read a Bible verse and then you kind of do answers, answers questions about it. And this is the verse on the screen that, that showed up in Acts chapter 10 in my, my daily reading. It said, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil and God was with him. And the Bible said I was reading said, hey, just for a moment, let's, where it says the name Jesus, just put your own name in there. And I would never put my name in the Bible, wherever Jesus is, right? That's not a good thing. I wouldn't think of that. But it said, just, hey, just put your name in there. That's what the Bible study told me to do. And it said, Where's, where has the city? I want you to put your city in there. And so here I am in January, 21 days, prayer and fasting. And, and I follow my Bible study. And it says this. And it says, and you know that God anointed Todd of Birmingham with the Holy Spirit and power. And, and then Todd went around doing good and, and healing all who were oppressed of the devil and, and, and God was with him. And so it all began to rise up in my heart, that verse that, that you know, God was confirming that this was going to be the year that, that, that I could come off the road and he'd move me into a career transition. And he got a little bit more aggressive with it. And he said, hey, look, why don't you just go ahead and resign your job? And I said, well, let's wait till the 21 days of prayer and fasting are over, Lord, before we do that. Can we do that? And so, and, and so I went on the journey, and, and my, I shared with my wife the story, and, um, and, and she said, I'm all in. I'm all in. And so let me introduce you to my family real quick, and that'll help me kind of tell the story. This is my family. Uh, the, the big, tall, lumberjack guy in the middle is Riley. Riley just graduated from the University of Alabama in August, and I'm super, super proud of him. Within 30 days, landed his own job, lives in Florida, uh, all on his own, off the payroll. You understand what that's about? Just super, super proud of him. He's in the construction business. My daughter's on the front left. Her name is Brianna. She's a junior at the University of Alabama. She's studying to be a child life specialist. Her biggest day is every Monday. She tells me on Sunday night, she says, Daddy, is it wrong that I pray for sick kids to show up at the hospital on Monday? Because she gets to go to the hospital and be with sick kids uh, she loves that. I'm super proud of her. My wife is over on the right. <clears throat> her name's Teresa. Teresa was a stay-at-home mom our entire uh, life of our kids. When our kids graduated high school, she started a real estate business, has done amazingly well, and, uh, and now she's a productivity coach, coaches 20 or 30 realtors. And so super proud of my family. And so when I began to do the math about, you know, what it is when you have a kid who's not on the payroll anymore, my daughter's about to be off the payroll, my, my, my wife, uh, you know, has a job. The leap of quitting my job wasn't as big as I thought. Still pretty big, but wasn't as big as I thought. So I resigned my job February 28th, and, and I'm gainfully underemployed in front of you for the very first time. <laughs> and so, so, so I want you to know that, you know, is God big enough to give you a life verse? Is, is he, like, big enough to know what's going to happen later this year? And is he, is he big enough to prepare you for it? And is he big enough to take care of it? Well, the answer is what? Yes. Yeah. God's, God's that big of a God. He's that big of a God. So let's ask the next question. Is God big enough to overcome your present circumstance? If he gives you a life verse... Is he big enough to overcome your present circumstance? We'll look in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, verse 9. Um, 
here's what happens before we read that. Let me tell you this. The brook dries up because <laughs> the drought, right? <laughs> the, the brook dries up. The, the ravens aren't coming. So you can imagine Elijah sitting there saying, you know, Lord, this, this isn't going so good, right? And I'm, I'm getting the results of all of that. And I can imagine, you know, anger and frustration, concern, worry, anxiety is all over him. You know, this drought lasts three and a half years, so it's probably January. His pastor's preaching through a life verse series again, and he gets another life verse in 1 Kings 17, 9. It says this, Go and live in the village near Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I've instructed a widow to feed you. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment, right? She's a, a poor widow is going to be the rescuer in the story. And so Elijah has to have this newfound faith that says, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep going with you on this journey. I'm going to go to this city. I'm going to find some widow in this city, and you're going to prepare her, and she's actually going to take care of me. And so, you know, here's what I would mention to you, is that you really don't know God's big enough until you need him to be big enough. Does that make sense? I mean, God's just like normal size. God's, God's everyday size until you need him to be big enough on a particular day. Does that make sense? So, so Elijah's in a place where he needs God to be big enough. And so when I think about, think about other people who, who lived with this kind of sense of a small God on one day, but yet not discovering how big he was, I think of the story of Mary and Martha. Uh, Mary and Martha had just lost their brother Lazarus. He was dead. And, um, and, and Jesus is walking into the city. Mary goes, uh, Martha goes out to meet him. And Martha's words to Jesus were this, you know, your friend died. Had you been here, you could have done something. I know you had the power four days ago. You could have kept him from dying. Then she went on to say this, but I know God will do whatever you ask. So Mary then rushes out and meets Jesus. And Mary says the same thing. Jesus, the one you loved, you know, our brother's dead. Had you been here? So like God was big enough four days ago. And we have this inkling that he might be big enough now. But our present circumstance making us question God. And so if you don't know that story, Jesus walks into the city. Mary and Martha are there. Others are gathered around. They're around the tomb, and, and they're all crying because Lazarus is gone, and, and Jesus feels moved. And in the end, Jesus says, I'm big enough today, too. I'm big enough today, too, and raises him from the dead. So there's two very basic principles about God. One, God must be all-powerful to be God. If there's anything more powerful than God, then that powers God. God must be all-powerful. And the second thing that's innate about God is he must be good, right? So like if God's not good, and by good I mean trustworthy, loving, kind, active. If God has all that power but, but doesn't behave in a good way towards us, it's a very scary situation, yes? Very scary. So the fact that God has to be all-powerful and he has to be all-good, like God never stops doing good. He never stops thinking of goodness for you or your family or your future. That's who he is. And so maybe you're not aware of this, and maybe you didn't get a life verse in January, but here are a couple that I've been praying for my life this year out of Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to this. 
This is God talking. Revelation 3, 7. It says that God can open doors that no human can open, and he can close doors that no human can touch. I mean, don't you want that kind of God in your life? You wanted that kind of God for the last several years. God, would you open the doors in our city? Would you open the favor in our community so that, so that this project could go forward? The Bible says God opens doors that no one can shut for your life, and he shuts doors that no one can open. The Bible also says this in Isaiah 40, verse 4. I love this. Isaiah 40, verse 4. It says God's actually able to make the, the valleys higher the mountains lower and smooth out the rough ways. Anybody want that kind of a week right now? Raise your hand. Anybody? Do you want the valleys higher, the mountains lower, and the rough places smoothed out? I mean, God is able. So is God big enough to give you a life verse? Yes. Is he big enough to overcome your present circumstance? Yes. He's all powerful and he's all good. He's not seeking to do anything to harm you. Even if a drought comes on the land and the brook dries up, there's a widow in a town that he's got ready to take care of your next need. So here's the next question. Is God big enough for a crazy faith? <laughs> All right. Is he big enough for a crazy faith? So this is a long paragraph, but, but look at it with me. 1 Kings chapter 17 so he went to Zarephath, and as he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water and a cup? And as she was going to get it, he called to her. He said, oh, bring me a bite of bread, too. I'm hungry. But she said, I, I swear to the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in a jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug, and I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, then my son and I are going to die. So, uh, let's get the story just a moment. God, you told me to come to this city to ask this widow to take care of me, and you're asking me to take her very last meal? Maybe, maybe this isn't the widow. Maybe I got this wrong. Hey, hold up on the water. Hold up on the bread. I got the wrong person. I got to move on. Let's read what the story says. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead. Do just what I've said. But make a little bread for me first. Then use whatever's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So Elijah puts it out there, right? Look, if you take care of me, God's already told me that he's going to use you to take care of me during this entire drought, so don't worry. There's going to be enough oil. There's going to be enough bread. All of us are going to be fine. Not going to be my last meal. It's not going to be yours. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. And there was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised Elijah. So look, um, is God big enough that you'd be willing to express like crazy faith in? Crazy faith. I mean, there was, there was a day when, when your pastor stood up in front of you and said, look, I believe God's going to open the door for us to move back. 
all, all well knowing that, man, there's going to be some pretty big obstacles ahead of us. Like, can we fund it? Can we actually develop the project? It was all out of his control and out of your control. But is God still big enough for crazy faith? Or is that the only thing you'll ever see God do in your lifetime? I think of Peter, right? Peter in the New Testament. Uh, Peter was in a boat one day in the middle of the sea with all the disciples. It was a massive storm. It was raging. They were fearing for their lives. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes walking on the water. And, and do you remember what Peter says maybe in that story? Peter looks up. Everyone's terrified. They're all huddling for their lives. Peter says, Jesus, if that's really you, ask me to come out there on this water. And he got out of the boat, stood on the water. Now, I know you're thinking about the end of that story, right? Because what happens at the end? He, like, takes his eyes off Jesus and gets away. But he was the one dude that got out of the boat. He stood on the water. Who, who would you rather be the 11 or would you rather be Peter? You name it. I'd ra- I don't care that I got wet. That's on me. I know you saw me walking on the water, though. Don't, <laughs> don't act like you didn't see that happen. We, we, we come today on a morning like this because on some level you have faith, right? I mean, you had faith enough to say, it's better for me to be here than to be somewhere else, Where, wherever that is. And, and we have some faith that God's big enough to help us solve the thing we fear the most about, about death and sin and eternity. And, and we know that he's the only one that can solve that for us because we know ourselves full well that we can't solve it. But I want to, it's got big enough for you to have crazy faith that he, he'll actually kind of like help you guide a kid. I mean, like if he, if he can solve eternity and sin and death and, 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 and those kinds of things, can he like help solve your financial problem? Can he heal a marriage? Can he help you just when you're depressed or discouraged? Is your God big enough for a crazy faith? Next question. Is God big enough for audacious prayers? Is he big enough for audacious prayers? So look, I'm going to fast forward the story a little bit. You ought to really go back and read it maybe sometime this week, 1 Kings, first part of 18. Um, so what happens is, is, is Elijah is back on the scene. He's going to have a conversation with King Ahab again. King Ahab's still evil. Prophets are dying left and right. They're holding out in, in, in the backs of uh, caves to save, to save their lives. But yet Elijah has to have this another conversation. Drought's still going on. So here's what Elijah says. Then Elijah said to King Ahab, go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm's coming. Lord, did you hear me just say that out loud? King Ahab, I'm telling you, it's about to end. So Ahab went and he ate and he drank. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed low to the ground and he prayed with his face between his knees. And then he said to his servant, go out and look toward the sea. So the servant would go off, and he looked. And the servant went, and he looked. And when Elijah said him, he came back and said, I didn't see anything, Elijah. 
seven times. Elijah told him to go back. So get the scene, right? Elijah says, king, it's about to rain. You better go eat. It's about to happen. Elijah doesn't just sit down and pray, now I lay me down to sleep kind of prayer right here, right? says he falls on his knees, head between his knees, on the ground. His prayer sounded something like this, oh, God. Oh, God. Did you hear me? Did you hear what I said to King Ahab? And he sends his servant off seven times, and every time the servant comes back and says, dude, there's not even a cloud in the sky. Is God big enough for an audacious faith? Is he big enough for an audacious prayer? I love how James in the New Testament reflects back on this. Look at what James says in chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was as human as we are. Can you just pause for a moment? I mean, the Bible is talking here, right? That holy book. Elijah is as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again, the sky went down. And there, well, there's a spoiler alert, right? So you know it's going to end good, right? And the earth began to yield. But I love the first seven words. Elijah was as human as we are. Let me ask you, Valley Point, what in the world are you not willing to ask God for at this point? Some of you have prayed for as much as a decade that that land would become available and usable. Yes? Some of you may not be aware that there was a group prior. Yet you're sitting here and some of you have, like, like, I prayed for sewage and I live in Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> Never been asked to pray for that before in my life. God did something you couldn't do. He did something we couldn't do. Yet we got to watch him do it. What in the world are you not willing to ask God for today in your life? having seen what you've seen. Now, I don't mean that in an antagonistic way. I mean, like, do you know where you're sitting? Is God big enough for an audacious prayer? Then the last question is this. Is God big enough for a future dream? Is he big enough for a future dream? So here's how the story ends in 1 Kings 18. It says this, Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a little cloud. I saw a little cloud. It was about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry up, Ahab. You better get going. The rain's coming. Climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain's going to stop you. That's how much it's going to rain. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm. And Ahab left quickly from Jezreel. And I love the ending. Like it's just God to go over the top with things. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt, and he ran head, passing up Ahab in his chariot as they went into the city. It's like, hey, Elijah, what were you worried about? What? It had nothing to do with you. It had everything to do with me. It had nothing to do with you. 
So look, don't you just love a kind of God that leads us to pray big, audacious prayers, answers them and says, man, I got more in the tank. I got more in the tank. We just get to go along for the journey of God doing big things. That building is really, quite honestly, it's not for you. It's for your city. It's for generations of people that have no idea that you've experienced what you've experienced. So, so don't make the building yours. That is an amazing, miraculous gift from God. Keep loving your city. Keep serving your city. Keep praying great things for your city. Keep being generous for the mission of the kingdom. Because you're experiencing God doing something for your generation, in your generation, that only God can do. And he's not done yet. He's got more in the tank. So look, here's a couple of takeaway verses for you as promises. You ready? Here's a couple. Psalm 65, 9. You take care of the earth and you water it. You make it rich and fertile. The river of God has plenty of water. It provides a bountiful harvest of grain for you've ordered it so. Flowing water is not the point. Flowing water is the ingredient. The harvest is the point. The harvest is the point. There are people today who are sitting in your city who have no idea that one day they're going to grace the Bethel Road property and believe and their marriage is going to be restored and their kid is going to be saved. They have no idea today. But you should be praying that kind of prayer. Psalm 68, 9 says this, You sent abundant rain, O God, to refresh the weary land. There your people finally settled. And with a bountiful harvest, don't you love that? They finally settled, and now they're going to see a bountiful harvest. O God, you provided for your needy people. So listen, today, just take a moment. Just take a moment and say, thank you, God, for privileging me to be a part of something like this. But then also say, God, give me the biggest prayer I've ever prayed in my life for my family and my city and my church because I know you've got more in the tank. Now, others of you are here today, and man, you can't even think about that building. Let's be honest, right? I, I mean, look, you are concerned about your job. You know, you are concerned about your marriage, your family. I want you, I want you to know that God's got some in the tank for you too. He's a good God, a powerful God, and he wants your benefit. So just reach out and just ask him. Use crazy faith today to pray a big audacious prayer for your own life. Let's have a moment. Let's pray together. Can we do that? So in this moment, this is your moment. There's really no magical words when you talk to God, but I just want to give you a second, a few moments, just to pray for yourself. If you have the context, thank God for what he's done for our church. If your life's in a hard spot, you know, maybe get the faith of that widow. Pray a crazy faith over your own life. Ask God to do something great for you. 
Father, across this auditorium, I pray right now for the most important thing that those that that are reaching out to you and needing faith encouragement in their life, that you would do that for them. Let them know that you're there today in this moment for them. And then, Father, I want to give testimony to you, the God who's doing something in Valley Point that no one human could do. We're so honored to be a part of it. So we pray for our city that you would shine your love and your faith and your grace through us. And don't stop doing what you've started. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com and click online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Please reach out to us at prayer at valleypointchurch.com.